Hello, Adulting Well listeners. This is Pepper, a.k.a. Joshua, a.k.a. Pepper, here to tell you about Anchor. So we used to host our podcast on another service, and we had this show for maybe three or four years at this point. And we got some metrics and things, but we didn't have a lot to do with them. And we recently switched over to Anchor. And what's amazing about it is it has all the metrics for the show. So you can see, you know, how many downloads you get and things like that. But it it also lets you engage with the audience uh, in ways that our old service couldn't. So, for instance, we can have polls. We can ask listeners to uh, leave us messages and questions and things like that. And we can uh, put them on the air super easily and answer those questions. Just uh, that's just one example. But there are just a lot of different ways that we can um, engage with you now that we're using Anchor. So uh, this is our first ad, and it's for this service that we're using to provide this podcast to you. And I think it's uh, actually a really, really good service. Um, And if you have a podcast, I recommend it. You can download the Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. Uh, Thanks for uh, pausing with me for a second. Now back to the episode. Hello and welcome to the Adulting Well Podcast. I am your co-host Joshua and I am joined as always by... By your co-host Kevin. And today we have Maggie Freeling. She's the host and producer of Unjust and Unsolved, a popular new podcast about wrongful convictions. Formerly a producer at large for NPR's Latino USA. She's an adjunct professor at the Craig Newmark Graduate School for Journalism at CUNY. She was an NPR Next Generation Radio Fellow, mentor, and 2019 Ford Foundation 50 Women Who Can Change the World in Journalism Fellow. Maggie was also a TV documentary host for Vice and Oxygen's The Disappearance of Maura Murray. Maggie. Hello. Welcome, welcome, (laughs) welcome. Thank you so much. This is so exciting. Yeah, I'm really, we're really happy to have you on. And um, I just wanted to first ask, what's your favorite companion animal? And how did you become a cat person? (laughs) Um, (laughs) I just love animals in general. I guess I've, you know, my first cats, I was four or five years old. Um, I think I've always just like related to cats. They're just weird and mysterious and cranky. (laughs) And they only want attention when they want the attention. So that's me. Um, but I do have a, a, a absolute love for pit bulls. I rescued a pit bull a few years back. Nice. Um, unfortunately my ex stole her in the breakup, so I have no more dogs oh, no. and now I'm just with cats. <laughs> I have three cats. Did your pit bulls get along with your cats? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she, um, hated other dogs, loved cats. Oh, that's wow. so sweet. Yeah. Oh, we yeah, can the, see one uh, for the folks yeah, on, this is, listening. This is the um, pandemic baby. So she's the 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 nugget that we got. She's like she just turned a year. We got her at six months. Amazing. So um, you know, we like to talk a little bit about people's backgrounds. Um, you grew up in New York, is that correct? Yes, Long Island. Yeah, and so from our kind of pre very brief emails, sounds to me like you were involved in the New York City hardcore scene. Yes, I so, actually, yeah. Tell, yeah. tell us a bit about that because, you know, we're, we're old punks and I played in hardcore bands. What was so. your first show? Oh, God, I couldn't even tell you what my first show was. How old but, were you when you started going to shows? Um, 
13, 14-ish. Whoa. Um, yeah, my first trip to the city to go to shows, you know, CBGB's, ABC No Rio, Fake ID, I was probably about 14-ish, 14, 15. Wow. And then I feel really lucky because um, I got to go to CBs. They closed when I was 16. So I That's went awesome. to a lot of the last shows there, yeah. Yeah, it was, a gr- it was a great place. I actually was there during the day and they didn't have a show that night. And the the manager was there though and let me just wander around and take pictures and sit on the stage. And it was, <laughs> I was like, I feel like I, I was in like the, basically the castle of, you know, punk rock. It was really yes. amazing. Yes. So a- ABC No Rio hosted a lot of uh, bands from out here as well, if I remember oh, really? right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they, so, and they only closed pretty recently. So. Right. They were open for a while, yeah. Yeah. So um, would you say that the kind of your experiences in music and, and especially independent music has contributed to any of the stuff you're doing now? A hundred percent. So I, I think, you know, I really resonated with the kitten lady um, because she was talking about going to a festival and seeing the pita table and she became a uh, vegan. I was at um, This Is Hardcore in Philly in 2006 where I met wow. John Joseph from Cro-Mags yeah. and he gave me, you know, he had at his table, he had a whole bunch of books and he had like one used book on vegetarianism and like, you know, some spirituality thing. And I just picked it up. I was like, holy shit, a book from John Joseph. I'm just going to take this. But I became right. a vegetarian from then. Yeah. Um so yeah, I would say definitely a lot of, you know, my caring for animals and stuff really started back then. Yeah. I mean, that's totally like the influence that I have too. I, I basically learned about veganism through my punk rock friends and yeah. hardcore friends. And yeah. here we are today. But, um, are. <laughs> you know, I think it's really interesting. So as we talked about as well, sort of in our back and forth or in my 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 plea for you to come on the show, really, um, I'm like like super hyper obsessed on... Uh, the criminal justice system or really, you know, unjust system in many ways. And when I heard, first saw your podcast, I, I don't always love true crime stuff, to be honest. Like I find some of it to be a little bit exploitive as far as like the really sensationalized stuff. But the fact that your whole purpose is to get the word out there about individuals that have been wrongly convicted of crimes that they didn't commit. I just found it incredibly compelling. And maybe just tell us a little bit about how you got into that and kind of give us some stats around what you've uncovered because you've uncovered a lot. Yeah. Um, so, so how I got into it, I actually have another podcast coming out. It's a, a an entire story. So it's a series, a seven part series coming out on PRX in January or February. Um, but that one, we had been following a juvenile lifer who was released. He was going to die in prison. You know, he gets put in when he's 17 years old, 1986, Philadelphia. He's involved in a gang murder. Um, you know, lock him up, throw away the key. That was the mentality back then. So he, you know, had his whole plan for dying inside of prison. And then the laws change in uh, 2014. They turn that over and say, you can't sentence juveniles to die in prison anymore. You can't do life without parole. So that actually became retroactive in a lot of states. And he was released um, in his mid-50s. And so the podcast really follows, you know, how does someone adjust to the world when they literally expected to die in prison? There was no Mm -hmm. hope for him to get out. So, you know, talking with him and getting to know him so well, it was years um, 
you know, I came to care for this person. He's an amazing person. He had reformed his life. He was an, an amazing member of society. You know, he's not the 16 year old in 1986 Badlands of Philadelphia anymore. So it, he would tell me about these guys inside that he knew that were innocent. And it had never really been something I had thought about. You know, I thought about it, but I never, ever, ever, if you would ask me a million times, you know, what are you going to do with your life? What are you going to do with your work? I truly would never have said wrongful convictions. I, not that I didn't care. There was just. It was his stories that kind of made it like. Yeah. Yeah, it did. It was, it was really caring for him so much. And then thinking about how many innocent people are in there that don't, you know, quote, deserve to be there. And we could talk about, you know, the whole who deserves to be in prison and for how long, which is a whole other story. But, you know, when we're talking innocence, um, I cared for this person who was a quote murderer. And I thought, you know, there's all these people in here who who truly do should not be here. And that's kind of what sparked it. And that yeah. thing is is the one that's coming out or one that's already out? Where, so the one that's coming out is the one where I follow this man. The one that okay. is out is about, um, yeah, the wrongful conviction. So that's okay. how I got into it. Okay, was, um, great, great. So one of the things that I read and I've seen, and you you mentioned at the beginning of every podcast is the fact that, you know, right now there's somewhere around by conservative estimates, 20,000 people in U.S. prisons that have been convicted of crimes that they most likely or did not absolutely commit. And uh, it's having, you know, I, I spend time in San Quentin out here um, doing volunteer work and having been in there with, and it's a very program driven prison, unlike many others in the CDCR, but it's, I just can't even imagine the, what these people are going through and the stories, quite honestly, I mean, anyone that listens to them that has even like, like a quarter of a soul. If you listen to these stories and you can feel cold or indifferent towards the people that you're reporting on, I, I don't even know what to say. I mean, it's the stories are so compelling. I mean, I guess, you know, I'm going the long way around this, but how do you kind of do this all the time? Because it's, it is incredibly heartbreaking to listen to the podcast and they have, most of them have such positive attitudes. Yeah. Um, I, I, I really don't know. I mean, first of all, I have been, you know, doing journalism for a very long time. I, I, you know, it's always what I wanted to do. Um, and so, you know, I, I never wanted to do, so I guess I did start off doing like travel journalism. I was 18. I backpacked the Alps, wrote an article for like traveling. And it was literally at that moment where I was like, this is fun, but I want to use my platform to do something that helps people. Um, which is obviously very cliche, but you know, that's what it was. So I, I, everything I had reported on was pretty, you know, serious topics, you know, things that people were either underreporting or were afraid to report, you know, right before I got into this, I was doing detention center reporting. I was reporting on this woman who alleged she was assaulted by a guard, um, at a prison, at a detention center in Texas. So, you know, a lot of it is very depressing, but I think, um, I, I just always feel like I, I was built for that. I think I just, it's what I'm supposed to be doing and I can handle it. And some people can't. And I think because I can, I, I do it, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, so going kind of back to your backstory too, where do you feel like that came from? I mean, you've got a heart for, you know, animals and, you know, obviously marginalized people. Um, like what kind of led you to that? I mean, I know what my, my reasons are, but, you know, I love to hear other people's, 
story as to why they do what they do. I, you know, I really, I, I've thought about this. I've asked my mom about this. You know, I did come from a very, you know, my mom was a single parent. You know, I was, I was in a very liberal household, but I don't remember, you know, every day my mom telling me, you know, go be a civil rights warrior or a criminal, ju- you know, criminal justice warrior or anything like that. But, um, I think it was maybe the opposite. I think it was maybe growing up in such a sheltered environment like Port Jefferson, New York on Long Island. It's very white. It's very rich. It's very sheltered. And, and I, yes, I'm white, but I was not rich. Um, I think just growing up feeling like an outsider in that and then going to shows and just seeing, you know, other people, I I just started caring, I think, because I grew up in such a sheltered environment. So I think it was kind of the reverse from someone, you know, trying to mold me into this person. I kind of came into it on my own. Yeah. So where did the well, journalism I'm, come from? Were you always yeah. writing? Like, were you always yeah. into writing? Yeah. So um, I went to do my undergrad. Um, I left New York and went to Massachusetts to do my undergrad and I was doing English and I was studying <laughs> Victorian literature, like, you know, who even knows? Um, yeah. I, I don't know like why to that read? was it. <laughs> what did you like to read when you were So like, I've dude, always right? loved sci-fi. So I don't know what I was doing, <laughs> like studying the yellow wallpaper. Like I have no idea, but that's what I was like fascinated with Victorian literature and, mm-hmm. you know, Victorian monster tales, like Frankenstein. It's a Victorian yeah, novel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then it came like first semester I had to take a creative writing class and I absolutely hated it. I am not a creative, like, like 0%. The, my, the whole rest of my family, my mom, my brother, everyone's an artist. And that's when I was like, wow, I am negative percent creative. Like everything in my brain is like factual and to the point and like very structured. And that's when I was like, well, I guess I could do journalism. <laughs> sounds sounds like me. <laughs> um, and that, yeah, that's, I was uh, 18 when I decided to do journalism. Wow. So you, you go to school, you switch majors, you start studying journalism, but then when you graduated, it seems like it wasn't just, and this is something we talk about a lot on this podcast, because I think it's important that people kind of understand where, you know, asking for help or getting help from your community really is like an important part of our growth. Right. And I, I, you know, looked kind of tracking your, your career, you, you moved up really quick. I mean, there were people that had like, definitely were like, she's going to be amazing at this. Um, maybe talk a little bit about how that, cause it, it seemed to happen at a pretty quick hour. I know it's probably long for you, but versus other people in journalism that kind of end up doing and producing their own, you know, projects. It's, it was, it was pretty quick. I mean. Yeah. I, so that I think was my upbringing. That was really my, you know, determination and, and bullishness. Like I, I would never take no for an answer. I would never, um, you know, for example, I'm I'm really small. I know one of the most Google things about me is like how tall is Maggie Freeling? It's fucking weird that people need to know how tall I am. I'm five one, I'm small. Um, and so when I was a kid and you had to pick an instrument in a music class, everyone was like, Well, you'll do the like flute or violin. I was like, oh Fuck that, I'm doing the stand-up bass. So of course that this like <laughs> tiny little nugget did the stand-up bass. Um, which a- then translated to bass guitar, but I, you know, it was just that mentality of like, if you tell me I can't do something, I'm going to do it. 
Um, so I think that's really what, what I did. And I was never afraid to take risks. And a lot of times that left me very broke, but it got me, you know, ahead in my career. Yeah. That, I mean, you went, so, you know, and, and chronologically I'll probably go a little bit out of order, but you worked at, at Latino USA, which I absolutely love their productions. You know, I, I tune in every week to, um, to the show that's nationally broadcast on NPR. Um, and it's, the reporting is really, really like, it's a, I mean, it has to be an incredibly like, you know, disciplined office because they, they don't mess around with their investigative reporting there. So talk a little bit about what it was like to kind of, I guess, cut your teeth there. Cause you know, <laughs> I don't know, joke. <laughs> no. And I'm so lucky because Maria was really my mentor and it just, you know, added to that sense of, I'm not going to take no, you know, this, this tiny bull lady, she's smaller than me. Um, you know, just this determination. And so for the past five years, I've had her as a mentor, which, you know, I I literally was her producer as the producer at large, you know, me and her would travel to detention centers, travel to wherever together and report together. And so it was just having this amazing mentor who, um, you know, uh, from the beginning just never took no as an answer. And, and she is just amazing and working there, it really honed in my, you know, desire to do this kind of reporting. It, it really, really did. Um, and so I'm so, I'm so grateful for that. Yeah. I mean, some of the the specials that she's done, like where she's followed people that have been, you know, in detention here, then back in Mexico mm-hmm. or other countries. I mean, like one of the things that really attracts me to their shows and her especially is how they, they really humanize people. And, you know, and it, and it doesn't matter like what kind of why they got in the circumstances they were in as much as like, these are the circumstances they're in. This is the work they're doing to try to get out of these circumstances. And I like, I can't even imagine what an amazing and, you know, probably like wonderful and heartbreaking and every emotion it must've been to travel with her and really like meet these people. Cause she goes (laughs) deep. I mean, like she's calling family members and like you know, girlfriends and boyfriends and kids. And, you know, it's like, like, it's really intense stuff. Like I, I have to be honest, sometimes I have to take it in bits. Like I'll listen to the podcast and kind of like, you know, cut it off and then restart. Cause it's, it's, it's intense stuff. She, you know, the podcast I have now on Justin Unsolved would not be, I, I don't think it would exist if it wasn't for um, working with her because that's how I learned to humanize people was from her. And, you know, she does this thing that I really, really embrace now and why I'm so glad to, you know, not work in public radio really anymore and be able to do my own thing because she does cross that line at times between, um, striking up a a, a friendship with somebody to really be able to tell their human story and then being a journalist. And I think, you know, especially today, we do see those lines blurring a lot, but I don't think I could do unjust and unsolved if I didn't you know, become close with these people and really know who they are to be able to, you know, share stories together, which one might say is not ethical journalism. You know, back in the day, you couldn't do that. You couldn't share stories. Um, you know, you couldn't build relationships like that. And uh, Maria does that. And and that's so much of what this podcast that we have coming out in 
January is it's with Maria and it's her and I, cause she had a oh, relationship nice. with this man in prison since 1995. Um, so it's really built on her reporting that we do this. That's amazing. So what, um, in terms of, and let's, let's talk about the podcast a little more in depth. Cause it, I mean, you know, again, I'm, I'm like a, I'm a devourer of books and podcasts right now because of, you know, <laughs> here we are, um, in this situation and, you know, I've kind of tapped out all of the possible Netflix and Hulu and, <laughs> you know, Amazon, whatever fill in the blank that I could probably ever be interested in. But, yeah. um, so I basically, you know, it, it came up as a recommendation for me and I don't listen to a lot of true crime. So I was kind of surprised, but I do listen to a lot of social justice stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, and you do, I mean, talk a little bit about this process, because one of the things I find really interesting is how knowing a lot of men in prison over the years and a lot that have gotten out, how difficult it is to communicate and how much more difficult it must be with COVID and how you're pulling all this information from these individuals, because it's, I mean, that's a, that must be a serious process for you. Yeah, it's definitely, um, persistence and sleepless nights. Um, like right now I'm having a, so I'm working on a couple cases out of Arkansas who I got from Jason Baldwin, West Memphis three, become Mm -hmm. really close with him. So you'll hear him in a couple episodes. Um, but yes, sorry, there's a motorcycle in New York. I'm shocked. (laughs) Um, but uh, yeah, so I'm working on a couple of cases out of Arkansas right now. And literally ever since the West Memphis three case, the prisons are so strict with reporting, you know, yeah. decades later now. So I am like pulling my hair out every second to try and communicate with these folks down in Arkansas. But um, going back to your question. Yeah. Um, um, oh my gosh, now I'm blanking. What was your question? Your question was process about trying to communicate and process. And you were asking about, cause I wanted to answer true crime and, uh, criminal justice reporting. So both are interests of mine. I've loved true crime ever since I was a kid. Um, like literally a child watching ID, which was like the first true crime channel, you know, watching that. Okay. So just to say my (laughs) wife loves ID and we watch ID all the time. Yeah. I'm I'm still obsessed with it. And now you know there's (laughs) now there's oxygen. Like now it's like, you know, true crime is like hot right now, but you know, I I was into true crime before everyone else was. So there, there's my (laughs) but um you you got street credits. Yeah, exactly. But I'm sure have you seen the South Park with the investigative murder porn? No, no, now I'm going to have to look it up. Oh I'll my God. It it's an episode that came out a few years ago about like everyone's obsession with true crime and you should absolutely watch it. <laughs> yeah, it's a, watch it's it a Randy episode, which is always the best. Um, but yeah, so, so, you know, as someone who's interested in true crime, I obviously did the more Murray documentary. Um, and then after that, I got a lot of requests from people to yeah. do true crime stuff. You know, why don't you have a true crime podcast? You should do this. It's so saturated now, though. Like, I, we literally didn't need another podcast of another, you know, person talking about murders that have been covered a million times. You know, it just, to me, it just didn't need need to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when, you know, we were coming up with a concept because Patrick, who owns the network, who has a true crime podcast, right. um, was like, look, I want you on my network. What do you want to do? He's like, people know you for disappearances. You want to do disappearances. I mean, I could, I can name 15 disappearance podcasts off the top of my head right now. Right. Yeah. And I was Although like, the, the, 
and we'll, let's put a pin in Maura Murray because I want to talk about that as yeah. well. But um, so keep, I'm sorry, keep going. Yeah, no, that's fine. Um, but, you know, we started talking and I was like, well, look, you know, I do serious reporting and, and I'm a journalist and, and that's always who I am. You know, I, I do have this weirdness about crossing into podcasting and just pulling shit off of Wikipedia. And he was like, well, you know, you, you know, it's not going to be a production. So we went back and forth a lot on like my comfortable, like my comfortability with what we would be doing. And and I mentioned, you know, when I started really getting into it on this other podcast, I said, well, how about something on wrongful convictions? And he, you know, it was tough at first because he was like, I don't know how many people are going to listen to that. And I, you know, it, it's not the sexiest topic, really. I mean, it's it's very sad and it's yeah, very, um, it sad. You, you really, at least I thought, so this is all getting to, you know, how many people do care, but at least I thought, like, I really don't know if people are going to care. And it sounds crude, but it's like, it's just so depressing. Like, do people mm-hmm. really want to listen to this? And that's kind of where we said, okay, well, let's do true crime storytelling. So it's still a little bit sexy. So we still have that like interest. And, and, you know, for me, I'm always big into like tricking people to listen. Mm -hmm. So, you know, while working at Latino USA, we really tried to like branch out to a larger audience, you know, people who aren't Latino. And, and as like one of the token white people there, I was like, we can trick white people into listening to this stuff. Like, I promise you we can do it. So that was kind of my mentality, like, <laughs> let's trick people into caring about about wrongful convictions and criminal mm-hmm. justice. And we can yeah. do that by making it seem like this, like, sexy true crime thing, but also really tell this story of what has happened to this person. So that's what happened. Yeah. Well, and I think that that is, like, it, you know, it's funny because rarely do we get to get, like – noble, like really great cause with like stuff that people might get hooked into proof positive that white people are, are really easily tricked. I mean, look at the growth of QAnon, <laughs> right? It's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we're no, we're interviewing sure. Anna Merlin next week. So we're going to, wow. that's going to be almost the whole show probably. Wow. Um, we've gotten really lucky with, with the, with the journalists that we've had on. We had AC Thompson on yes. first season and you know, he's just a, you know, he's a wealth he's of information. He's a Nazi hunter. Yeah, I I scrolled through who you guys have had on. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, so, um, so you um you got the podcast up and running. I think one of the things that's interesting about it too, and you you really touched on it when you were talking about um your experience at at Latino USA, and then the fact that many people that are more like you know kind of old school journalists are super hardcore about not Mm -hmm. building a relationship. But the this this sort of medium actually answers that problem to a great degree, um, you know, because you can get on uh, with people and you're it's a podcast. It's not supposed to be like, you know, NPR. It's not supposed to be, uh, you know, um, public television. And so, you know, to I me think it it's, reminds me much more of like um, Gonzo journalism or Hunter S. Thompson yeah. or yeah. something like that, where you really oh, insert yourself into it. <laughs> but yeah, you can throw yourself into it in a way that's a little more like human, right? And I, I think that's part of the reason I like the the show. And so going back, I've said, let's put a pin in Mara Murray. Like, I mean, how do you even like not obs- continue to obsess on that? <laughs> well, I did. I did. And I still do. Um, but I did have to remove myself because of how much – 
um, that community has become really toxic with online trolls. I don't know if you guys yeah. know anything about any of the more Murray community, but it's really um, uh, disturbing at times and, and really scary. So it got to a point where it was really actually becoming dangerous. And I mm-hmm. just said, you know, I, I've tried to help. I've, I've volunteered three years of my life to this um, mm-hmm. after the show. And even the show was basically volunteering because Lord knows I didn't get paid shit for that. So, you know, it's like, I really tried to help (laughs) and it it became not worth how much, you know, my life was literally being threatened by people online who just like feel the need to harass people. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, no, I, we did. I mean, we went maybe two years ago, 2018, I think it came out in 2017. So I think Mm -hmm. it was the following year, 2018. Um, Tim and Lance, the two podcasters and myself, you know, we started a GoFundMe. Mm-hmm. We raised $10,000. You know, that was just because we still do it. I mean, they still have the podcast, but I was still very much obsessed with the case. I, I was mm-hmm. invested in the family. Yep. We, you know, hired um, specialists to do ground penetrating radar. We searched places that the family had wanted searched that hadn't been searched before. So I invested a lot of time into it. Um and it just it just became too toxic, honestly. So, and for context, because maybe not all the listeners know, um, maybe you can just give like the you know the sort of like paragraph intro of of who she was and or is, and kind of maybe just you know the fact, that, you know, some short facts about. Yeah. It, so, so, so Mora, um, in two thousand four, she was driving in New Hampshire, um, up in the White Mountains, um, February fourth, two thousand four, and she crashed her car. And when her car was found, she was gone, and she's never been seen since. No trace of her, nothing. She's just been gone. Um, and and I got involved because she went to UMass, um, where I went to college. She was a few years older. You know, I started going there in oh seven. She she was a uh, sophomore in 04. So, you know, she was a few years older than me, I think five years. Um, but you know, the, the company, the production company reached out to me cause they were literally looking for female journalists from UMass and there I was. Um, so I was at WMYC in New York public radio at that time. And, uh, I, I took a break and went and did this, uh, TV documentary and it was, it was fascinating. Um, to do that, but it was, it was, yeah, I, I was she's, invested. She's never been found. No. Yeah. Hmm. So it is a really interesting, it's a really interesting. And I think uh, because of that, because there's series. so much mystery to it, I yeah. think that's why it just brings out some of these really nasty trolls. I mean, it's, it's absolutely insane. And anyone who does do true crime has said they have never in their life covered a case. They said, one person said the closest they've ever covered with this much like nasty toxicity was the Amanda Knox case, um, who is also you know part of the wrongful conviction community. But that's mm-hmm. that's the other most toxic one. And the fascinating part is they are both very pretty young white women that people mm-hmm. men mm-hmm. get so worked up over. Yeah, it's. I mean, it really like it's a, a sad reflection on the state of 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 you know of the, of society when people need to go after situations like that and people that are trying to report on it in a legitimate way. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things, and I mentioned this as well, and I you know I'm trying to kind of 
pull back a little bit because I, I try not to like look at my notes during the podcast. But I I, I watched the Vice like mini doc on direct action everywhere when uh-huh. you came out to Petaluma. And I grew up in Santa Rosa. So I grew up in, and so did Joshua. He lived there for most of his. I was born in Petaluma. Oh, wow. So um, it, it is uh, being basically a adult lifelong vegan. Yeah. I have mixed feelings about DXE. Okay. And, um, but I also noticed, I, and I wanted to point this out. And I think this is one of the things that's really amazing, especially after hearing your backstory and how much you love animals. I feel like you treated the chicken farmer really fairly in that documentary. And I, I don't know if I could have kept my composure in the same way, quite honestly. I mean, well, it was, it was fascinating. <laughs> so that whole, oh my gosh, that was funny. Um, so I, yeah, I loved, you know, meeting everyone at DXE. I, I really like resonated with them um, and their cause, of course. But, you know, <laughs> we meet this chicken farmer. I cannot remember his name right now, but he was so caring for his chickens. And then we started realizing like, oh my God, I think DXE like really fucked this one up. Like this is not the <laughs> factory farm that they're right. going for. Like, yes, they're, they're for abolishing all kinds of farming, but I will tell you, I was in these facilities and it was not the kind of places that DXE goes in. I mean, they were very clean they were very nice. I mean, everything was, I think there was one, one stall that, um, had cages, but even then, I mean, they were large cages with water. I mean, these chickens were, yeah. f- you know, for chicken farming, they were very happy well, chickens. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like I, when, when they, when they went in, and the guy was just basically like, please don't do this. Yeah. I felt so bad for him. And I'm like, but I'm, on the other hand, I'm like, but he's, you know, he's making money off killing animals. So I it's know. like one of those well, things. But, but again, it's like. The, because he, it was an egg farm first. Oh, it was an egg all. farm. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it was an that's egg right. farm. It was a hatchet like job. The, yeah. <laughs> uh, I forgot. It was an egg farm. It Fair was enough. an egg farm. Um, I, just like, but I so felt he was like a primal cry. Like you're oh. destroying my business and my livelihood. Like I was but like, that's oh, the thing. Man. Like I agree with DXE when they do it with like Tyson and, and you know, yeah. those kinds of like really evil places. But, um, I mean, this guy really was just like a local egg farmer and he was the sweetest man. And his kids are like, um, one of them's like a biologist and the other one's like a marine scientist. And they're all about like saving the planet. Like it just was like very ironic. <laughs> it was just like the, not the kind of place you would expect DXE to go into. And I think it was yeah. just really kind of an easy target maybe. Um, um, for yeah. the layman out there, what is DX? What are we talking about here? DXE. So it's direct action everywhere. They're mm-hmm. relatively in the scheme of things, new, animal rights group that's gained a lot of popularity with young people. So kind of like newer vegans, especially they sort of have this massive outreach and, you know, some of the there's, and I'm not going to like get into the whole thing. There's plenty of stuff online. If you want to look them up, there's many different facets of people's feelings about direct action everywhere, you know? Yeah. What they do. So they're, they've been labeled a terrorist organization. Um, 
because they uh, go into, you know, factory farming facilities and, uh, and quote to their, their language, rescue the animals, mm-hmm. um, which I think is admirable. Like they've rescued a lot of animals that need rescuing. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> just, yeah, this, this one with the, the egg farm was really, he, well, so the thing is, the thing is, is with DXE, when you go into these facilities, they are sterile environments. And so when you have a bunch of contamination, or they're supposed to be, of course, you know, we've seen these farms that are not, but you know, when you're running one pretty properly and up to code, you know, for organic, however, he was, he had organic, he had cage free, he had free range. Um, When you go in an outsider who's not, you know, going to the facilities properly, the problem is, is that the animals will get sick. And if one gets sick, they all get sick. So they wind up actually having to euthanize all the animals. And that's what he was actually really afraid of. And that's what DXE has run into a few times is I know a few of the bigger farms have euthanized all the animals because they had gone in and, and allegedly gotten some sick. I think in certain instances, it was kind of like a fuck you to DXE, like, oh, you come in here, we'll kill them all anyway, you know, but Mm. with this farmer, it wasn't necessarily like that. He was very worried about getting all of his chickens sick, which then of course he has to kill them all. And that obviously costs him money. So it is an interesting, like, uh, irony. Yeah. I mean, it it just is, it's a great little doc though. I mean, and, and, you know, of course being from the area, it's kind of always like when there's something about the area I grew up in, it's more compelling to some degree, you know, it's like, oh, wow. And, you know, we had definitely, I was part of animal rights organizations way when I was very much younger, a long time ago, you know, now, and we were not greeted with um, a farmer pleading for us to be nice. You know, it was more like, you know, get the fuck off our property, <laughs> you know, or get away from our gate and, or we're going to go get our shotguns kind of stuff. It was well, very the other, different. The other one, um, his partner, I don't think it was his brother, but it was his partner yeah. was like, I'm going to get my gun and fucking kill you. Like he, I think he spit, oh, yeah. he spit in, um, gosh, I can't remember anyone's names right now, but the main, Wayne? the main DXE, Wayne, yes. He, he spit in Wayne's face at one point. Like he was definitely significantly more aggressive than, yeah then I think his name was John, John, the farmer, maybe. Yeah. I mean, it's not that surprising that they were upset. I mean, you know, an open rescue is never. (laughs) Right. That's what they call it. Open rescue. It's it's not like a, it's not like a fun fest. It's Mm -hmm. not meant to be. So, um, so then um, you also have done um, a bunch of other interviews and like done guest podcasts with other podcasters, kind of in the same genre of what you're doing now. Mm -hmm. Um, And, do you do you feel like that's as as sort of rewarding or are you just really focused on your own projects right now? Um I, you know, I'm I'm definitely really focused on this right now. It's it's a hundred percent time consuming. Like I, I do also teach and I also take a class. Um so I'm like What do you I'm, teach? I, I teach journalism. I teach audio journalism at um graduate school in uh CUNY and uh yeah. So between teaching and then I'm taking my own class and then this, I am just spread so thin right now. Like I wish I could do a million things, but I am just one person. Um, yeah. So I'm really trying to focus on just like right now my end goal is Thanksgiving. I'm like, okay, I'm going to get three more episodes out till Thanksgiving and then I can like breathe for a second and like recoup because really putting out an episode a week with the, you know, the, um, 
the level that I'm doing it again, just, you know, not just reading Wikipedia and and talking to my friend about it, which is great. Mm -hmm. You know, my friends do that. They've, they've had very successful podcasts, but you know, there's definitely a lot more work in, you know, editing interviews, sound designing, everything doing. How do you self-motivate yourself? Like, how do you, cause you're home, right. And you're there and you can stop and go watch, um, Netflix if you want. So how do you, well, you know what I'm going to do on Netflix anyway, I'm going to watch a documentary about true crime and I'm like, <laughs> right. I'm living this anyway. So, yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I don't put on the TV usually and put on some stand-up comedy. I, I Again, I, I literally do put on ID, um, Oxygen, you know, whatever the new true crime thing on Netflix is. They just put out season two of Unsolved Mysteries. You know, that's what I do. And Is that out now? It yeah, is. I just watched it yesterday. Oh, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I got to go. You know, like, that's what I'm living. I mean, everything, every story I'm telling is an unsolved mystery. I mean, I could get in the freaking weeds on each of these cases on who actually committed this murder or this assault, you know? Mm. Um, It sounds like it's safe to say that you love what you do. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I do. I just wish I had help because it's a lot. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. You know, I love the research and the interviewing. I don't love the uh, engineering if I wanted to be an engineer, I would have become an engineer. That's not what I want to do. Well, I mean, it is. I mean, you're based on our interactions, even on social media, it's like a one person show. I mean, you're like, you're doing like mm. wearing all the hats at this yeah. point. And this know, is nice because um, we get to split up those roles because I am yeah. an engineer, so right. I can do that stuff. And, <laughs> and I love engineering. You know what it is? I, you know, I even reconsidered like maybe I should go back to school for engineering because I do love doing it. I don't love doing it when I'm down to the wire and I get, you know, my editor, I do have an editor um, who is amazing. She does the podcast accused from the Cincinnati inquirer, um, Amber hunt. She's a, a, fa- a brilliant. Um, but you know, I get all these notes on like, you know, the levels here and here. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Oh my God, I was done with this episode seven days ago. I really don't feel like going back in and fucking leveling and tweaking mm-hmm. the, you know, Tell I just like, <laughs> If it was just what all I was doing, I would, you know, I would sit there with my weed pen doing levels, but I'm like doing an interview. (laughs) That's not what I'm doing. Oh man, you just described my Sundays like every Sunday, basically. (laughs) Lovely Sunday, but uh, unfortunately, it's not that relaxing for me. (laughs) So talk about that a little bit too, because you put this podcast out and it landed in like the top 10 on, on iTunes or Nice. I, uh, Apple podcast almost immediately. And like, did you expect that? I mean, like that's a, that's a pretty, given how many podcasts people listen to these days, like that's a really, and are out there. There's so many out there. Um, how, how did that feel to get that notoriety right away? I, I mean, it was amazing. And that's, you know, I, I think I put a pin in that before of just like when I said, who's going to really care and I know that sounds terrible but I do I do I did did believe it was like a niche of people that would care about criminal justice and wrongful convictions and um it was a lot of people who cared yeah a lot lot. of people and and I'm I'm so I'm so you know someone said it, it was actually really interesting because 
someone said to me, oh, well, wrongful convictions are sexy right now. And I was like, that was never, you know, and those are obviously like industry yeah. lingo. Yeah, totally. Like, I was like, that's never even a word I would think for wrongful convictions. But, you know, as we're working on this season back in March, maybe Kim Kardashian has a show on wrongful convictions come out. Um, oh there was gosh, there's right. another TV show on wrongful convictions come out. It was just like, I guess this is sexy right now. So, yeah. you know, I guess people do want to hear this right now. People do. I think the other thing is, is that, and the, this is kind of the, I think, you know, I talk about this at work a lot, but I'll talk about it on the podcast. The key differentiator for you is the, the depth in which you dive into the story. And so it kind of leads me to like a pretty, it should be a kind of an obvious question because, you know. I'm sure our listeners are thinking about this too. What is it like to be an investigative journalism or journalist during the time of fake news? I mean, are you as a woman getting more nasty comments than, mm. than you think you would, you know, I mean, what kind of give us a little insight into this. We talked about it with Maura, but you know, yeah. kind of what's it like right now? I mean, these are probably sensitive cases to some, to many, many people. Right now with this case, and unless, you know, Patrick and Steve are filtering all of the nasty emails, I haven't seen one. And wow. that is incredible to me because with the Mora case, again, it was like the second I showed my face, it was like this dumb bitch with tattoos because apparently tattoos make you stupid. Um, totally. So, you know, it's like this dumb bitch with tattoos. I'd listen to her if she didn't have tattoos. It was, it was just like the nastiest stuff. But I have found this community and the people that listen to be so wonderful and so willing to listen and help because that's all I want to want is, is help. Like I truly want to help these people. Um, you know, people reached out to me after listening to Rosa's episode, she's dying of stage four kidney failure, um, and has been ordered to be released and they will not release her. I've had multiple people email me saying, how do I get in touch with Rosa? I want to know if I'm a, a kidney donor match. Yeah. Um, oh, geez. Wow. So it's really, it's been amazing. And it's been the absolute opposite of anything I experienced in the other worlds. Like people in the wrongful conviction community, they want to help. I'll tell a story about Jason Flum. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he has the podcast wrongful conviction yeah. and he's also on the board of the innocence project and he works with Jason Baldwin. He's on his, on his board. Like he's, he's freaking Jason Flom. He's amazing. Yep. But I knew he had this podcast and we are doing very different things, you know, different. It's the same, I you know, subject, but done differently. And I was scared of him. I was definitely scared of Jason. I was like, Oh my God. Like, he's going to be like, who, who is this dumb girl with tattoos? Like coming along, making a wrongful conviction podcast. Like what is, what is this? My, like, what does she think she's going to be my competitor? And not thinking like I, you know, that he would think that I was just worried about that. And then as, so I was hesitant to reach out to him. I knew I wanted to reach out and say, this is who I am. You know, if we could collaborate or, you know, whatever. Um, his people reached out to us before I even got that chance. And they said, oh, welcome wow. to the space. Um, welcome to the space. You know, we'd love to promote the podcast, do whatever we can to help. Like that is this community. That is the people who are in this community. And I, it's amazing. That is amazing. That reminds me of when I was I first in bands it. when I was young, where yeah. everybody just put each other on every bill and promoted each other. Yeah. And it was just kind of like a cool, small, cool thing. 
everyone wants to help. There is no like fighting over theories. Like there is in a, dis- like, you know, the Mormon disappearance case. It's right. like mm-hmm. everyone has the same goal and where it's like, yes, in that case, people have the same goal to find Mora. It's like, but it's going to be my theory that went out in this. It's like the goal is to get an innocent person out of prison. That is the goal. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to argue with that on any level, you know, and I, I just, the reason I asked too, is just because there's so much nastiness going on right now around, you know, fake news and, you know, even people like AC get a lot of flack because he's reporting on a, a subject that really upsets white people, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> like really, really badly. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really, it's interesting. And I, I actually, that's so nice to hear. It's funny because we look for these snippets in every show of like, what's the most positive spin we can put on this person's like current situation and career choice. And to hear that everybody in this space is so supportive of each other, it's like, okay, we got it. It's amazing. <laughs> you know? And then I was on the phone with the wife of a guy, I'm doing his story soon. And um, she was telling me, oh yeah, I talked to Ashley Long and I talked to Kayla Higgins, who's Jermaine's wife and Ronnie Long's wife and all the wives talk and everyone's just like, trying to help each other and telling each other stories and, and, Oh, you know, I had this lawyer, maybe he'll help this person. And it's just like, it, it does while it's like, and maybe that goes back to your question on like, how I, how can I keep doing this? It's like, yeah. yes, this is devastating. And yes, this is horrible. And it is draining. But then at the same time, there's so much hope in it and like encouragement with everybody of like, you know, if Ronnie Long can get out after 44 years, he was the first case I did. Um, there is a lot of hope and, and like we can all come together and make this happen because that's what happened with Ronnie. Yeah, I think it's interesting, too. And I, I kind of mentioned that I was a little obsessed on this, too, just the like the kind of what's happening right now. And I just somebody just sent me an article today and I don't know if you've seen it yet, but um ProPublica and a few other organizations dove deep into individuals that were dying in county jails mm. that had not been convicted of a crime yet. Mm. And so in the US, there was like 4,800 people that died in county jail with no conviction last year. And the there was some nastiness on that thread when I was kind of reading yeah. through it. Um, but the other thing is, is there's also this kind of middle ground of people in that are in prison. And I definitely know a few of them here in California that are like, like over punished for their crimes and mm-hmm. were, you know, were convicted as youth and are still serving time 25, 30 years later in crimes that didn't actually, they where they didn't actually murder anybody or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe they were part of a crime where somebody was killed, but they, um, they, you know, they were not the actual participant in that part Felony of the murder. crime. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's kind of why we left the title I mean, of course, Jason already had wrongful convictions, but we right. left the title as um, unjust because mm-hmm. I wanted to leave room to cover those cases too. Yep. Um, at some point, you know, if we continue, which I imagine we would, you know, however, whatever form it starts to take. We hope so. Yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever form it starts to take, I wanted to leave room for, you know, um, unjust sentences and, and convictions yep. as well. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's insane. But, um, and the other thing about it is that, you know, there's so many, so many cases across the country like that. And, you know, it's the remnants of these old, like tough on crime Mm -hmm. bills, you know, Mm -hmm. and 
luckily California's kind of, you know, started to get rid of a lot of them, and the, but they're trying to pull some of them back right now. There's a measure on the ballot this year pulling back changes to criminal justice reform, you know, and it, it's completely insane. As somebody that was incarcerated, convicted of a felony, I can say there's two things that I tell people all the time. After getting my civil rights restored, I will never not vote. And I will always fight for the underdog, the person that didn't have the representation they deserved. I got really lucky. I was a white kid hooked on heroin and got a really good lawyer because of probably my circumstances. Wasn't paid for. I just got somebody that was a good criminal criminal attorney that was volunteering here. And, you know, these cases, it's so interesting because you aren't covering cases of like young white women yet, you know, but the you know, it's the, most of the people that you've covered so far, at least the, all the episodes that, that have been released are people that come from like a lot of them didn't have a lot of money. They didn't have money to pay for criminal attorneys. The latest one was a little different, which is a wild episode. Oh, wow. And I highly recommend, I mean, holy shit. That was just like the, like, I don't even want to like do any spoilers at all. It is it, it, like, it's every possible thing. And you we think have of a crime. lot of, surprise news on that one that I can't talk about yet. Okay. But, well, I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> but um that that is, you know, that case, David, I'm not I'm not um giving up on David and and we're working on a lot of things together and and with other people. But, you know, going back to what you just said, um there was something I wanted to say before, something made me about people coming together, you know, this community also is really diverse. And I've talked to a lot of, you know, I was talking with the episode this week, we actually talk Mm -hmm. about race a lot in it more so than in the other ones. Um, Not that it had really any more to do with it than than any of the other cases. But, you know, I was talking with Darrell's mother, um, it's a black family, and and she was talking about how one of the women who came forward for Darrell um, to, 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 you know, help him was a white woman. And we wound up talking and she was talking about how, you know, get that gave her like a restorative faith in humanity, that it was this white woman wanting to help her young black son. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's what I've also found in this community is that like, it, it's just so transcending of all different kinds of backgrounds, you know, whoever's in it. But you just said, what made me want to say this too is, um, all of the cases I've covered, pretty much everyone except David, who you mentioned, has yeah. been marginalized in some way, but mostly has been poor. Yep. Um, everyone so far has been poor. And cases yeah. coming up, I mean, they, I do cover, you know, white women. They were poor. Mm-hmm. They were in yeah. trailer parks. Um, and, you know, I talk with Jason Baldwin a lot about this. I mean, the West Memphis Three, they were trailer park kids. And Jason, yeah. I know he has it in some of his books, but... I, I, you know, he told me, um, ever since he was 11 years old, the trailer park kids were on probation. Yeah, He was 11 years old on probation and it was those bad kids from the trailer park. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's really one of the things like you mentioned, you know, you were able to hire a lawyer. I think that's what we see in this. These no, no one that they don't have good representation. And that's like issue number one. It's despicable. Quite honestly, it's, it's totally inhumane. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're Joshua message. We're coming up on time. We could like literally talk to you all night, Maggie. I, I, like, know, I, I, I mean, this is like, 
this is so everything about what you're doing right now is so in my wheelhouse. And I was so excited to have you on. I, I kept telling Joshua, this is going to be such a great episode. Yeah, and it was one of the like, ones it did not Kevin disappoint. got excited about. I'm so excited. It was an instant. Yes. Like you wrote this whole yeah. thing to convince me. I was like, um, obviously like you guys do <laughs> rock and how to get McCann. Yes, obviously. Like I'm super yeah. in. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's hard. It's hard when we have guests like that, especially like the kitten lady and Ian and you know, the guys from jawbreaker. I mean, come on. Yeah, I you know. know. So it's like so fun, but, um, so give your, your spiel, like where to find the podcast, the, you know, the, the Facebook group is amazing. So give it all to us before we, oh, you guys we are in the Facebook group. I am. Yay. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to find you and we're going to become friends on Facebook now. Unless I think you, maybe you added me. I don't know. But if I, the only way I accept people is if I have more than like five friends in common with them. Cause then I assume okay. it's like wrongful conviction people. So if we yep. have more than five friends in common, I'm, we're probably friends. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if I found you personally on Facebook. I think I just found your like, follow me page. Oh, okay. So, well, yeah. I'll find so, you. But um, yeah. yeah, so you can find the podcast anywhere you get your podcast, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, wherever. Um, yes. Go on Facebook, find the Unjust and Unsolved Discussion Group. Everyone is in there. Um, advocates, spouses, you know, people write me emails saying, hey, you know, I listened Someone was like really – they really wanted to get programs for people doing life without parole, educational programs because that's something I also emphasize that like yeah. a lot of states you can't do, get an education if you're doing life without parole. Someone wrote to me being like, I want to put a bill up to get education in prisons for people with life without parole. And I said, go to the group. There's a million people in there who could help you do that. Um, so Amazing. join the group. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're on Instagram. I'm on Instagram. Unjust and Unsolved. Um, and you have a new podcast coming out in January with Maria Hosa from Latino USA, who is, you know, superstar. She's Maria Hosa. And, there's like, yeah, three I mean, there's nothing else to say. <laughs> I mean, this is like the, like, like interviewing you is like the culmination of everything I listen to. You know, it's like NPR, <laughs> <laughs> your podcast, you know, and talking about criminal justice reform. So, well, we when so over, we obviously need to get drinks. Um, yeah. I don't know if y'all, wait, are you guys in LA <laughs> or San Fran or not? We're in San Francisco. Okay. He's in Oakland, actually, You're in to Oakland. be fair. Okay. Yeah. Um, we Oakland, say, yeah. we say the podcast in San Francisco because my company occupies an old, um, an old TV and radio studio. And that's where we do it. And we can do it in person. Um, and I don't know if you knew this, but we hire and train people that need a second chance at, at my company. So wow. um, that's what other than my own experience being incarcerated kind of got me involved was, you know, how can we could do good business and good mission. So, um, you know, the, the, the connections kind of will probably never end, yeah. but um, <laughs> um, we really appreciate you coming on again. We probably could have talked all night, but we'll, we'll give you a big plug. Uh, the podcast is giving our Patreon money to uh, our friends over at hospitality house, San Francisco wow. uh, till the end of the year. They are a organization that helps individuals that have mental health issues and are recovering from substance abuse or are in a harm reduction program. They also have housing, so uh, anything you can give to them, we appreciate too. I did a little fundraiser for my birthday and raised $1,600. So, you know, give them whatever you can. They're a tiny, tiny organization and their their ED is actually formerly a client. So wow. they put their money where their mouth is. Wow. And um, so other than that, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on. And thank you so much for listening. Everybody will see you next week.